I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. How much more could you love Jesus? Yeah. Lots. Lots, that's right. You got some room for improvement? How much? Lots. Lots is right. Lots. You're two for two. Well, what do you say we just get to work on that right now? Because first I want to clarify something. I want to clarify that I don't mean love. I don't mean love in some detached, esoteric, Christianese way that we can use it sometimes. But in the normal, earthly way where you just can't stop thinking about the object of your affection and all of the choices that you're making revolve around them. That's it. It's just constant. It is constant and consuming and even confusing sometimes. But it's where your desire starts to direct and define who you actually are. Kind of like with me and Back to the Future. It's good. And I don't mind it. It does a good job of summing me up, I think, right there. But it's this regular old human love, regular old human love, that is crucial so crucial to the deep theological truth that Bruce exposed last Sunday, which is, buckle up, it's this right here. In order to be a living sacrifice, we need to be alive. Yeah. Wow. Who knew, right? Isn't that crazy? But it's this love that'll help answer last week's essential and insightful question that is really at Christianity's core, which is... Are we alive? And that's weird because it kind of sounds silly, but it's not. It's not silly. It is not silly. It's just surprising when you see life and death from God's perspective. Because, you see, you were dead. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Hmm. When you followed the ways of this world. That's... The living dead, right there. The living dead. But, but we know that we have passed from death, that living death, to life. True life. True life. Because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in living death. Okay, now, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Therefore, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a truly living, truly living sacrifice by loving, which is holy and pleasing to God. Because let's face it, this is your true and proper worship. Yeah. So as Paul explains from his perspective, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live in death. Right? I no longer live in death, but Christ truly lives in me. The true life that I now live in the body, I live by faith. 
faith in, the, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, wow, that's a lot. Isn't the Bible cool how it does that? Explains itself, I love it so much. It is good stuff, isn't it? It's incredible. The Bible does it all the time. I dare you to open it up and find out. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, we saw in Hebrews that faith is two things. This faith that we now live by is two things. It is the confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for as confirmed by our actions, right? We talked about that. And assurance from his word about what we do not see which is what gives us the confidence to put life-giving love into action. That's how it works. And then just last Sunday, we talked about dying to self. Nobody's favorite, dying to self so that we won't remain in death. And that's tough because, let's face it, the biggest ongoing disciplinary hardship of the Christian life is dying to self. That's the hardest part, and it's, it's always at the top of our list that we need to be doing. Yet, we must, we have to, we must die to self in order to love on others, in order to truly live as a living sacrifice. Remember how that worked from last week? Die, love, live. That's how it goes. However, okay, there is a necessary prep step that gets this whole thing going. And Bruce didn't really have time to get into it and he didn't have a chance to unpack it, but it involves the love that leads to death to self. And that part right there, that, that is the assurance portion of living by faith that empowers our confidence to put that old love into action, okay? That's how that works. And it's what the Bible calls beholding. And I love this word, beholding. It's, it's all over the Bible. And we're gonna take a second and really talk about this here because we are instructed to do it throughout all of scripture as a sort of pre-step, that prep step. And it's where we take stock. We take stock take a minute, gather information, and we try to gain an understanding of stuff that will motivate our action, that'll encourage us to do that. It's where we, we work to truly and personally comprehend something here in me in order to discern its right fit into our thoughts and our beliefs and our life. We've got to figure it out. And we do it When we actively, actively, with action, observe, explore, and engage something or person or idea. And we do it the way that we would if we were to be holding it in our hands. That's the way I like to remember this. It's just engaging it on a level like you would if you had something in your hands. So I want you to just imagine. Imagine being handed a baseball hat for the very first time in your life, never seen one before. You get handed one on a sunny day and you're, you've been told that it'll help you see more clearly. And that's all you got. So what would you do? You'd turn it over a few times, right? You'd take a close look at it. You'd probably snap and unsnap the back a few times and, you know, and then you'd try it on and then you'd make adjustments this way or that way until it comfortably shaded your eyes the best. You figured it out, it's hands on. And then boom, right there. Now hats are a part of your life 
from then on. You, got, you get hats, and they fit into your life. And it's that right there. It's this hands-on experience with something that encourages and inspires us to make deliberate choices by giving us reasons to be confident in the action we take. It worked. I put the hat on, and it did keep the sun out. I think this is how it works because of my hands-on experience. Beholding something assures us that our beliefs are not baseless, but rational. They make sense. Because what we're seeing and discovering confirms our plan of action as a good idea. It worked out. And that right there, that's the confidence and assurance that grows faith. It's that easy. And in the exact same way that we can be holding a hat to find out its role in our life and how we use it and how it works out, John implores us. Oh, he just beseeches us. He says, please, 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 please. Build faith that way, but in something that has a much more profound effect on you. And here's what he says. Here's where he uses that word. He says, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Behold God's love. Put that in your hands. We need to. We need to take some time and observe and explore and engage it. Or we will not build the confidence and assurance of that faith which enables us to overcome ourselves and lay down our lives. Have to do it. So what is it? What are we beholding? What is it that is so important about his love? It's John's telling us to stop what you're doing and behold this. What needs so, so much careful observation? I mean, we all know what love is, right? We've all experienced love. Well, first, it's the manner of love that John mentions, right? The manner of love. And I love this because I love this in this manner. It's the manner of love because the, the word right here literally means what country. And it's such a weird translation, right? What manner of love, what country. But it's like an idiom that says, as if it was saying, Behold this foreign or alien, out of this world type of love. This never before seen type of love. That's what it's saying. Behold what manner, what crazy out of this world love this is. And that idea right there, that thought helps us with John's other most famous and misunderstood verse. John 3.16 we all know how that one goes, right? We've heard it a lot. I've said it a lot in my life as a toddler on up. For God so loved the world. Stop right there. Stop right there. I've been mispronouncing that, put the wrong inflection on that for most of my life. God so loves the world. How much? Oh, so much. No, 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 no. That word right there, translated so, actually means in such a manner, in this way. And some Bibles, even like the ESV, they even offer an alternate translation that says, this is how God loved the world. And although the depths of his love are infinite, I'm not challenging that, they absolutely are. The point that's being made right here in this scripture is not how much God loved the world, but what kind of love he had for the world, right? 
It's a different point. But it's the kind where he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That kind. God loves us sacrificially for our benefit at his expense through his son. And that's not all. Because though that is rare, that love might be seen down here. We've actually encountered that. We can encounter that down here in something like loving parents or war heroes who are sacrificially loving someone. You can see it. It's not foreign. It doesn't really feel completely out of this world. But no, that's not all. There's a twist here. There's a twist to his love, to God's love that makes that familiar love feel foreign and make it look illogical, impossible, and just downright insane. Because you see, at just the right time, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What? Huh. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own out of this world, never before seen love. Demonstrated his own love for us in this way. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. His love is sacrificial, yes. It's sacrificial and it's across enemy lines. It is an absurd, never before seen mix of grace and mercy. And it's grace in that we're getting the sacrifice that we don't deserve. And it's mercy in that we're not getting the punishment we do deserve as his enemies. This right here, this is the never been seen love that needs to be beheld. This is what John is saying. Behold, look at that. Get a get a hold, get a grip. That's madness. And it needs to be beheld. And having personally beheld this love, John is telling us, you gotta get some of what I got. And he surely, having beheld it, felt the gravity of Jesus' instruction when he said to all of us, a new command I give you, love one another. To which we all would have said, oh, I'm trying, that's what we're doing. But to someone who beholds what he's doing, they might say, how is, how is this new? And Jesus anticipates this question and he says, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's interesting because this right here, this is where we can show him that we know him by doing what we beheld of him. It's kind of our progress report right there. We can see, we can show what we've beheld in him. And he says, yeah, that's, that's right. By this, by doing this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another the way I loved you. Okay. Now, this is tricky because there is... There is a moment, there is a moment in, in everything, a, a transformative, crucial moment when something that you know becomes something that you are. And it moves from your head to your heart. And it changes from being something that you consider 
that just influences your life, like you take it under advisement, and it changes into something that you have to account for and that guides your life. It is an immovable part of your life. It's part of you. It's something that you are. And it is a moment when that happens. And it's, it's the moment where your assurance and your confidence that's in your faith, the assurance and confidence of your faith becomes so overwhelming. You've been beholding something so much. It's so obvious and true that it literally moves you to action. You have to. You have to account for it. You have to make your decisions according to it. Something you beheld has suddenly compelled you to get going. And that prep step of beholding becomes the pep in your step. And you start following Jesus's fearless example of loving others without any regard for yourself. Take John. John, John is, anytime you spend time in the Bible, things pop out and you identify with them. I am, John's my guy. I love John so much. And there is, there are these two second and third century books that tell an incredible story about the character of John. And it's telling the story of him in his twilight years. He's 80 or 90. And this is after he's returning from his exile on Patmos where he got done writing the easiest to understand book in, in the Bible. And, uh, and uh, old man John, old man John returns to Ephesus. The, the guy in power is dead and he's, oh, I'm coming, I'm coming back. Comes back to Ephesus to help in the churches because he he's, wants to, he wants to. And he, and he goes to the church in Ephesus and he finds this strong, good-looking young guy whom he just immediately takes a liking to. Look at him. I like him. That's him. I like, that's him. <laughs> Did you know? That's right. This is actually a carving. No, that's, I mean, this guy who he just, he connects with him immediately. And he just, after his, he just likes him. He just takes a liking to him. And after winning him to Christ, which is what you do to someone you take a liking to, right? You just share. After winning him to Christ, he begins discipling him and says, oh, I got so much more to tell you. So then when business at another church pulls John away, he has to go. He calls in the bishop and he says, bishop, I want you to look after this guy. I want you to look after this guy until I get back and can continue. I've got something good going with him. He's got a lot of potential. I love this kid. And then John has to take off. And while he's gone, the kid starts backsliding. And he starts making poor decisions. And one thing leads to another. And he ends up becoming the leader. The leader of a gang of robbers that are hanging out on a nearby mountain. Right in front of the, the church. Which means apparently everybody saw this kid's potential. The robbers were even like, make him the leader. I mean, because that was quick. So when John returns, John comes back. I mean, and I can just picture him just not even getting his jacket off. He immediately asks the bishop, oh, how's my boy? How's my boy? Where's he at? How's he doing? And the bishop says, oh, he's dead. And John is shocked. How'd he die? I mean, he just left him in his care. I, I, this was a big deal. How'd he die? And the bishop says, well, he's dead to God. Which gets John fired up. You could have led with that, I think. that would have been, It's good to know that we are not the only ones who can appreciate the difficulties of spiritual language like living dead in sin. It's tricky. So this 80-ish-year-old guy, old man John, Right then and there, demands a horse and leaves right from the church. Bring me a horse, gets on it, and I'm going to the place that everybody knows is certain 
death. Everybody, no one's going near this place. And so he's riding up the path, and of course, immediately he gets captured by these guys, these bad guys, these bandits. And John says, good, I'm glad. You caught me. That was on purpose. Now take me to your leader. And they take him to the camp, and boom, right there, there's the kid. Looking all tough, and armed to the teeth. But when he sees John, oh, he feels the shame. He can't face this guy. He can't face can't face this guy that he knows he let down in a big way. So he does what I think all of us would do. He gets up and he turns to leave. And right then, John bolts after him. John doesn't care. John bolts right after him and he just starts crying out, Son, it's me, your dad. There's always hope for you. Whatever you need, we'll figure it out. He's just chasing him down. I will gladly suffer death for you if that's what's needed, just as Jesus suffered for us. Just listen. Just listen to me and trust me. And on hearing those words right there, the kid just stops, freezes him right there, and he drops his weapons and he starts crying and shaking. And John runs over to him and hugs him. And he just takes him right there and he walks him right past the gang. Bad guys, this is the gang of robbers. Walks right past him, immediately explaining how they're going to fix everything as soon as they get home. I swear he's taking them. And you know what they do? Eventually, the kid is proudly presented to the church as an example of repentance, regeneration, resurrection, and the unbelievable, life-giving love of Jesus. Wow. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul's beheld it too. And he says right here that he is convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's unreal. That is out of this world. Now, I know that John must have been quite a spectacle as that old guy on that horse in that place. But you know what I think made him so easy to recognize? Why that kid immediately went pale, I am quite sure. I think it was his love that made him easy to recognize. His illogical, impossible, and insane love. Who on earth does that? Who gets on that horse and comes up there after? The bishop didn't. Nobody else did. And in that moment, in that moment, all the scripture and knowledge of Jesus' love that John had been sharing with him went straight from this kid's head to his heart. And what he beheld in that moment gave him the confidence and assurance to put his old self to death right then and there in the middle of the enemy camp. And here's why I'm saying this. Those moments 
those transformative, life-changing, life-giving moments of inspiration. They are ready and waiting for every single one of us right here, today. And in fact, I'm sharing this story that I love so much. I'm sharing this story because I am the proverbial prodigal son. That is me. I have been fiercely fighting my parents' grace and mercy for as long as I can remember, but boy, oh boy, did I get good at it in my teen years, and I fought them hard. I want to show you this. I've showed you this before. This is an empty gesture. This is an empty gesture that I flippantly and selfishly just offered when I was like 14 years old just to get something stupid that I wanted. And I didn't care about my future. Whatever, I owed dad everything. Or how I was holding my dad emotionally hostage with something like that, where I'm just thinking about what I want, thinking about the things I love down here. But I gotta tell you this, I just celebrated my 40th birthday this month, and I was blindsided by one of these moments. I was blindsided by something that just made me feel like Jesus was in the room with me. My dad gave me a card. I wish you guys knew my dad. <laughs> my dad gave me a card that returned the IOU, and all he did was write underneath it. It says, son, all debts are canceled and forgiven. From dad. I know how silly it seems down here. It's just a card. But I know how much I don't deserve it. And I know that I do owe dad everything down here and up there. And I know that I need to do something about it. We all do. Because remember this, it is our job it is our job to let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's by design, guys. It's by design that we behold the love of Jesus to be changed into something for the world to behold and be changed by. It's a chain reaction, and it's the chain reaction that saves the world and it works because it's his plan, I promise. But I gotta give you some bad news right here. There's a problem. There's a problem right now because the church ain't giving the world something to behold. Politics, policies, media, and divisive issues like masks continue to keep us in our own camps on whatever side we fall on, and make us unrecognizable as his disciples. We're not doing what we're called to do, guys. That right there, that's the life that he's asking us to lay down, the one that is concerned with those earthly things down here that we love, we put so much investment, we care about so much. Lay that down. But he knows it's hard. Because it's going to take some real faith, real faith, real assurance, real confidence. And it's going to take intimate knowledge of Jesus' love to break those bonds. We've got to behold it. That's where it's going to come from. But we will love like Jesus to the degree that we embrace and internalize exactly how he loved us. Work on beholding it. 
So in case it has not hit your heart yet, if it's still living up here, I want you to behold this. Jesus loves you to death. Jesus loves you to death. You, right? You are the joy that was set before him for which reason he endured the cross. But to make his love complete and fulfill all things, he must be the joy that is set before you. For which reason you now will endure this world's hardship as the loving discipline of a father who is coming for his kids at whatever cost to take them home. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray, guys. Father God, boy, we just love you. And we love you because you first loved us. And we are humbled and we are honored and we are inspired to action as the children in your awesome and eternal family. Holy Spirit, help us move the truth of your love from our head to our heart so that we can better move this world toward your truth. And Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you for laying down your life as an example of the out of this world love that we can use to change our lives and save the world. And to that, everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.